Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We're going to be studying the Word of God for the next about 30 minutes. But I want to remind you that God is true, and His Word is truth, and His truth endures to all generations. We want to talk today about the virgin birth of Christ. And it was posed, a question was posed to me a few weeks ago, can you prove that Christ was born of a virgin, or can you prove the virgin birth? And I thought about it, and I said, well, I believe I can. I believe I can prove the virgin birth of Christ from several different points. And so that's what I want us to talk about today. And I want you just to go ahead and listen to what I have to say, and you can either agree with the points or disagree with them. Uh, that's perfectly um, your right to do that. But I want us to, before we get into the study, I want us to look and think about the fact that the virgin birth of Christ is something that it is a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. And if we can't believe in the virgin birth, then we're probably not going to believe in the resurrection of Christ. And we're going to see that as we get into this study. But before we do, let's just go ahead and pray and ask for God to give us the wisdom and understanding that we need concerning this subject. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today for your goodness and for your mercy. Now, Lord, we ask you to enlighten us. Help us to see these things. Help us to see uh, the miraculous virgin birth of Christ, not just from a viewpoint of acceptance, but to really understand and really to know uh, the person of Christ from his virgin birth until his miraculous resurrection and ascension on high. And so, Lord, in this study, we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory. It's to you, Father, uh, that uh, we give glory, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in looking over this subject of the virgin birth of Christ, I ran across this quote. Now, this was from a leader of a denomination, a particular denomination, and this is what he wrote. He says, concerning the virgin birth, this is a doctrine which presents us with many difficulties, and our church does not compel us to accept it in the literal and in the physical sense. And I thought that was quite odd because this denomination gives their ministers the choice whether to believe in the virgin birth or whether not to believe in the virgin birth. But yet, this same denomination, as far as I can tell, believes in the resurrection. And you know, Jesus said this. He says, I am the beginning and I am the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And isn't it interesting that many denominations won't necessarily believe in the beginning of Christ, but they, they may believe in the ending of Christ, which is, uh, you know, the end uh, and then the beginning. And I just think that if we're going to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if we're going to believe that the Word of God tells us that He was raised from the dead, and if we're going to believe that, then we're just going to have to believe the entire uh, a record of, uh, of the Word of God concerning His birth, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, uh, 
and his present day ministry. That's really what we're studying now uh, in the book of Hebrews. And so I want to approach the virgin birth of Christ from about five different points. And I like the number five because the number five is the number of the grace of God. So if we believe in the ending of Christ, in other words, talking about his death, burial, and resurrection, then we also have to believe in his beginning. And his beginning was uh, the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. And so I don't think that we have a decision to make concerning his virgin birth. I think this is something that's necessary for us to believe. If our foundation is going to be sure, then we're going to have to believe in the virgin birth of Christ. You know, there's things we should do and then there's things we must do. You know, we should wash our car, shouldn't we? We should check our air pressure in our tires every now and then, shouldn't we? But we must put gas and oil in that car if if we want to drive that vehicle. So there's things we should do and then there's things we must do. Well, I just believe that the virgin believing in the virgin birth of Christ is something that we must uh, do. Amen. So let's go ahead and start. And I've titled this message how we can know that Jesus was born of a virgin. Well, we can know it biblically, can't we? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And uh, I know there's been a lot of discussion on this Hebrew word virgin, Alma. But it just, it, it, the, the definition of the word is exactly how the King James Version translates it. A virgin, a woman who has not known a man. Amen. And then, of course, we have that same verse in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Amen. So we see here in the scriptures, just two scriptures. Now, there's many, many more scriptures that we could bring in, but we're just going to uh, center in on these two Scriptures, both in Isaiah, which was prophesied approximately 700 years before Jesus ever appeared on this earth. And then, of course, we have Matthew's account. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, and of all the 12 disciples, he was probably, uh, with the exception of Luke, was uh, the most, well, Luke wasn't part of the 12. We'll just say uh, of the 12 that Matthew was most likely the most educated of all of them. Matthew kept very, very good notes concerning the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, the information that he got concerning the virgin birth of Christ, obviously he got it from uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary herself. And so he thought it was factual enough to put it into his gospel. And I do not believe that the apostle, uh, that the apostle Matthew would intentionally lie. I think that's been proven beyond doubt. So here we have uh, the the knowledge of the scriptures concerning the virgin birth of Christ. Well, if we can know the virgin birth of Christ biblically, then we should be able to know it theologically. Think about this. Think about the historical reality of both Matthew and of Luke. They both testified that the virgin birth happened. And both Matthew and Luke, 
who, you know, I mentioned Matthew, I'll mention Luke also, they were both educated and trained. They believed that the virgin birth of Christ was authentic. And of course, if we believe that the Word of God is the inspired Word of God, that all Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable, inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, then we believe that what Matthew recorded and also what Luke recorded was inspired of God, that it was not a lie. And of course, we know that the birth of Christ took place in Bethlehem. Well, that was foretold 700 years before it happened. And yet here we have the very town where Jesus was born was prophesied. And of course, we have to answer this question too. Why would Joseph restrain himself from putting Mary away if he had not been told beforehand by an angel that the thing that was conceived in her was of the Holy Ghost? Remember, Joseph was ready to divorce Mary privately to put her away. He wasn't going to make a public example of her. He was going to put her away privately, privately or uh, pri- uh, privately, actually. And uh, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told Joseph not to do that because the thing that was conceived in her was of the Holy Ghost. Well, if this was all a fake, then why would Joseph not just go ahead and divorce Mary and be free of this situation so he could marry somebody legally under the law. Well, it's factual. Amen. And we have the testimony of Matthew. We have the testimony of Luke. And we also have the testimony of Joseph. As a matter of fact, we have the testimony from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And of course, we have Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married. See, The marriage had not been consummated. It was a pledge. It was an engagement. Was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So Joseph was not, technically, was not the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. His birth was miraculous. That's why we call it the virgin birth of Christ. And so not only do we understand the the, uh, virgin birth of the Lord Jesus theologically, we can also understand it medically. I want to read to you a quote from a biologist and ethologist from Purdue University. This is uh, what he says. He says this concerning uh, the fetus. He says the developing fetus, fetus, generates its own blood cells through cell differentiation. Blood cells of the offspring can be genetically quite different than the mother since the genes that will determine the blood cell types are a combination of genes from two different parents. Sometimes the baby's blood can even be incompatible with the mother's and immune reactions can take place if cells from one enter the other. Notice that that the blood is developed in the fetus, in in the fetus, and it's not passed, notice it, it's not passed from the father or the mother. Now, I want you to listen to something that Martin R. DeHaan wrote in his book, Chemistry of the Blood. Notice what he says, from the time of conception to the time of the birth of the infant, not one single drop of blood ever passes from mother to child. 
that the blood which flows in an unborn baby's arteries and veins is not derived from the mother, but it is produced within the body of the fetus, fetus itself only after the introduction of the male sperm. And so we already have the record in Matthew chapter 1 that Joseph had not consummated the marriage with Mary before she was found to be with child. And so this had to have been a miracle. And of course, we as believers in Christ today do believe it was a miracle that the, the power and the, the, uh, the life of the Holy Spirit so worked in such a way within the mother of Mary that the fetus that uh, became the Lord Jesus Christ was miraculous. And think about this. This is another theological point of view that I think we need to, we need to see and we need to understand. If Jesus had received the blood from the mother, then his blood would have been tainted because Mary's blood was tainted. Joseph's blood was tainted. Their blood came from uh, the fact that, uh, that they were born of Adam or in Adam. And of course, Adam's sin has been passed down from generation to generation. So they were born with that serious, uh, uh, spiritual thing called the nature of sin. Well, if Jesus, if his blood had been mixed with his mother's blood or manufactured from his mother's blood or the father's blood, then his blood would have been tainted also. He would have been of the seed of Adam, but he was not. That's why he was born of a virgin. His blood is pure blood. It's not tainted by sin. And the reason being is that Jesus had to be that lamb without spot or without blemish the one who would offer himself without spot or without blemish and who knew no sin but was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Jesus became the fulfillment in the atonement in the Old Testament of the scapegoat, both the scapegoat and the Paschal Lamb, both of them. He took our sin. He was not in sin. He was not a sinner. He was made to be sin for us. He became that sinless sacrifice, that sacrifice without blemish. And I think that's very important for us uh, to understand. But now we can also know the virgin birth of Christ doctrinally. We can know it from two points. First of all, the virgin birth of Christ was a miracle. <clears throat> now, we're finite human beings. We cannot manufacture miracles, not of our own volition. That is out of our purview. Only God can do miracles. You think about the grapevine that produces the wine. Well, the grapevine is filled with water. I know because I have a grapevine, and every, every uh, winter I prune back and purge back the grapevine, and I wait until all the sap is down into the root system so I don't kill the grapevine. But even when I begin to uh, purge the vine and cut it back, when I make a cut, there's water that comes out of the vine. Now, that's not the sap. That's the water. And that water works as the grapevine begins to grow and produce and begins to put on grapes. That water gets into that grape. So over a period of several months, I'll have grapes on my grapevine and I'll be able to harvest them. 
But think about this. Jesus took pots of water and immediately, instantly turned them into wine. I can't do that. You can't do that. There's nobody in this world can do that. Only God can do that. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you walked on water? You never have and you never will. And the only way Peter could get out of the boat and walk on water is that Jesus allowed him to. Remember what Peter said, Lord, bid me come unto thee. In other words, can I have your permission to get out of the boat? Well, Peter did. The Lord gave him permission. Peter got out of the boat. He began to walk on water. But because he's a frail human being, he looked at the waves and he looked at the wind and he, he became afraid and he began to sink. See, Peter couldn't do that on his own. Remember when Peter fished all night and caught nothing and Jesus simply told him, cast your net one more time on the right side. And when he did that, he hauled in so much fish on two different occasions that happened that uh, his nets began to break. See, Peter couldn't do that. He tried to do that all night long. He couldn't do it. But Jesus did. And the reason being is because Jesus is the God of miracles. You and I can't produce a miracle. Now, you and I can work a miracle if the Lord allows it. But we can't do it of our own volition. And you see, either we believe in miracles or we don't believe in miracles. And for somebody to say, well, I don't believe in the virgin birth, but I do believe in the resurrection. No, you don't. You either believe in miracles or you don't believe in miracles. Because if God is the God of miracles, then God is the God of the virgin birth as well as the resurrection. Amen. So if we believe in the resurrection of Christ, we believe that it was a miracle. Then we also have to believe in the virgin birth, that it was also a miracle. We have to be consistent. We can't pick and choose which miracles to believe. Either the, we believe the miracles that are in the scriptures or we don't believe. See, Thomas Jefferson wrote an entire Bible and he took out all the miraculous well, that's why that Bible is called the Jefferson's Bible. It's got his name on it, but as far as inspiration, it doesn't have any. Now, there's another point we can understand the virgin birth doctrinally, and that's through the otherness of Christ. That Christ is so different and so other than we are. And why is that? If he was born the way you and I were born, he would not be any different than we are. He would still have the same... Uh, prone to wander. He would still have the same sinful desires that we have. And as a young child, he would have uh, uh, he would have been just like any other child. But now let me let me let's go ahead and just just say this. Christ was so other than we are. And as I said before, he walked on the water. He fed 5,000 men besides women and children with just five barley loaves and of bread and two fish. He turned the water into wine. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of John, John lists seven miracles that prove that Jesus is the divine Son of God. Amen. And also to prove that he is so other than we are. Now, even though Jesus was other than we are, he hungered just like we do. He, get, he got tired just like we get tired. He rejoiced and he laughed and he sang and he wept just like we do. All of his physical characteristics were just like ours. As a matter of fact, Paul said of the Lord Jesus that he took upon himself the likeness of sinful flesh. But what is the one thing that made Jesus so other 
than what we are. He bled just like you and I do. He proved that in the scourging. He proved that with the crown of thorns. He proved that uh, on the on the cross. What is the one thing that made Jesus Christ other than we are? One event. Well, there is only one, and that's the virgin birth of Christ. He was born so other than we are. Listen to what Jesus said here, or John says that, uh, of Jesus. Chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 of the Gospel of John. But Jesus did not entrust himself to man because he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. And what was it that is in you and I that is not in Christ that makes him so other than we are? It's the nature of sin. You and I have the nature of sin in us. And it's only Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can destroy that nature of sin that's on the inside of us. And even after we're born again, even after the nature of sin has been destroyed in our spirit, you and I still through this life struggle with with sin and sins. We have to constantly and continually uh, keep ourselves separate and keep ourselves cleansed. And, and God has to continually and constantly renew us with refreshings that come from the presence of the Lord. Why? Because we're finite creatures. Jesus is not a finite creature. He was God manifest in the flesh. Amen. And of course, I like the verse of scripture that we studied in Hebrews chapter seven. For such an high priest meets our need. The one who is holy, harmless, undefiled. Now listen to this. Separate from sinners, made and exalted higher than the heavens, separate from sinners. See, he is so other than we are. And the reason he is other than we are is because of his virgin birth. Amen. Hallelujah. The virgin birth means it was a sinless birth. That's why the Catholics call it an immaculate conception. All right, let's look at the last point. We can know the virgin birth personally by faith. You know, we can go through all of these points and we can approach it from different different ways and different areas. But ultimately, the only way that we're really going to know that Jesus was born of a virgin is that we have to know it personally. And the only way that we can know it personally is by receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord. And understand that all of Scripture is given by inspiration. See, there's so many people, and I'm talking about scholars, I'm talking about commentators, that being trained in seminary and, and, um, and in graduate and postgraduate schools, they've reduced the Word of God to really <clears throat> the Word of men. And that's why some denominations say, well, if you're a minister in our denomination, if you want to believe in the virgin birth, fine. If you don't, that's fine, too. See, they, they don't take into account that the Word of God is the inspired Word of God. It's God's record, and it's been proven over time and over circumstance that it is the Word of God. That the Bible does not contain the Word, it is the Word. Amen. 
And you and I, as true believers, we don't get to pick and choose which part of the Bible to believe and which part not to believe in. Now, as Christians, we should have more emphasis on the New Testament than on the Old Testament, but that doesn't mean we discount the Old Testament altogether. No, it's the Old Testament's good. It's profitable. When Paul said this, all Scripture is God-breathed or is inspired of God and is profitable, he was talking about the Old Testament. He wasn't talking about the New Testament because when Paul wrote that to Timothy, the New Testament hadn't been codified yet. So the Old Testament is valuable. But we, in this dispensation, we want to spend more time in the New Testament because we want to know more about our Savior. Amen. And so, in order for us to accept and to know that Jesus was born of a virgin, then we have to know that personally. And the only way we can know that personally is to know our Savior personally, to know Jesus Christ, to accept Him for who He is and who the Bible says He is. Amen. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by believing that Jesus is God, that He is our Savior. Amen. And He wants to be our friend. He wants to be that one that sticks closer to us than a brother. And by believing, then we confess that that we are sinners. We ask him to forgive us of our sins, and then we yield ourselves to him and accept him as Savior and Lord. And then when we're baptized in water, then we pledge ourselves to be his and to be his servant and to serve him for the rest of our life. And of course, uh, water baptism serves as our public confession that what we have done, we have done by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can know the virgin birth biblically. We can know the virgin birth theologically. We can know the virgin birth medically. We can know it doctrinally. But the crux of this whole issue and the, and the, 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 uh, the sum of this study today is that we have to know the virgin birth personally. We have to know that Jesus was born of a virgin personally, and we do that by knowing him personally, that it is impossible for God to lie, that he is our God, he is the Son of God, our Lord, our Savior, and he is our King, and that he's coming again. We have to acknowledge the fact that he is so other than we are, but through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God and him dealing with us, See, he's bringing us to that place to where we are so other than the world. Remember what John said. He said, love not the world, neither the things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are in the world, and the world passes away, but he that does the will of God will abide forever. Amen. So do you trust Jesus today as your Savior and Lord? Do you believe that he was born of a virgin? Do you believe he lived a sinless life, died a vicarious death, was raised again the third day, ascended up on high, and now he's at the right hand of the throne of God, ever living to make intercession for us? Have you trusted him to be your Savior and your Lord today? I hope you have. Praise God. But this wonderful life that we call the life of Christ, it all began in Bethlehem around 2,000 years ago in a lowly stable when a virgin gave birth to a son. And that son is Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Father, we love you, praise you, thank you. Lord, I just trust that this study today will enlighten us, 
and help us to see just exactly who Jesus is, that he is the spotless son of God. Father, we love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.